Welcome to the In Your 20s podcast, where we figure out what the f- we're doing in our 20s. Hello, chickadees and chickadoos. My name is Tina with an H, and welcome back to another episode of In Your 20s. This week on the podcast, it is huge, massive, humongous, ginormous, every single thing you can imagine, because In Your 20s is officially a year old this week. I am shooketh to my core. I can't believe I've been recording for a full year every single week. We launched the podcast. I don't know why I'm saying we. It's literally just me. But we launched the podcast April 22nd of 2020. It is going to be a full cycle around the sun this Thursday. I cannot believe it. And even more so, not only is the podcast turning a year old, but we officially have our first sponsor ever. So if you realize that the artwork is a little different, you're right because it is. Today's episode is sponsored by Foreplay. Now, if you don't know what Foreplay is, check out last week's episode titled Double Dating and How to Create a Successful Dating Profile, where I sit down with the co-founders of Foreplay, Danielle and Julie, and we talk about all things double dating. Now, if you're in the New York City metro area, you need to download Foreplay. It is great. My roommate and I were on the app, and it's just a way for you to meet other singles that are in the New York City metro area without having, you know, the awkward like one-on-one first date because who wants a date with two people when you can have a hangout with four people? I love hanging out in groups. So for me, it is top 10. Now, if you're not in the New York City metro area, that is totally okay. Foreplay is expanding and they need to know where they need to expand to next. So go on Foreplay's website, let them know where you're at and that you want Foreplay to be in your town, your state, your city, wherever. The link for Foreplay is in the show notes down below, but I am super, super excited. Thank you so much to Foreplay for sponsoring this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening and being a part of this entire In Your 20s journey for the past year. Shooketh, shooketh. Today's episode, I'm sitting down with Connor Shaw. Now, Connor is an entrepreneur and a businessman. We've had a lot of different entrepreneurs on the show, but I really, really enjoyed my conversation with Connor because we've talked about social media. We've talked about, you know, really launching your business. But what about finding your actual niche? Connor is in the jewelry business. He is doing amazing. He's flourishing. There's so many things we talk about across sustainability and fashion, the differences between fashion and jewelry. He works part-time for The Real Real, which is a luxury consignment resale website. We talk about the replica industry, how to identify what's fake, what's real, how your friends can help your business, what you learn and don't learn in school in terms of entrepreneurship, and so much more. I know you guys are going to love this episode because for someone who didn't know anything about the jewelry industry, I feel like I took away so much from this episode and not just about jewelry, but about life and building a business in general. So without further ado, we're just going to rock and roll into it. Welcome back to another episode of In Your 20s, guys. Today, I am joined by a good friend of mine, Connor Shaw. Connor, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for asking. and Thank you for, for having me here. Of course. This topic for today's episode, I'm not going to lie, I don't know a lot about. So you are truly, it's going to be like, you're the teacher and I'm the student kind of vibe. But before sure. we talk about you know, everything that you're doing, how old are you? And what's one random thing you've learned in your 20s so far? So I'm currently 22. I'll be 23 next month. 
Um, one random fact I actually learned in college when I was taking a fashion class was that it takes 3,000 gallons of water to make a single t-shirt. And just to put that in perspective, um, that's enough drinking water for one person for 900 days. So that's about like three years of drinking water to make one t-shirt. And that doesn't include everything you do to the shirt after you get it. So washing and all that stuff, that's just to make it, to dye it, to produce it, the cotton, stuff like that. Yeah, it's pretty crazy for one t-shirt. For one t-shirt? Here I am sitting in a crew neck. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is five years worth of drinking water now. Holy crap. So when you were in class, like, did the rest react the way that I did? Like, what were some other things you learned? Oh, yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, the whole fashion industry is very unsustainable. That was my whole presentation. Um, so, you know, I was looking into not just water usage, but also, you know, labor, um, stuff like that in, in third world countries and everything to do with the unsustainability of fashion. So, yeah, it was it was very serious. And a lot of people had the same reaction as you did. Wow. So I guess just to get right into it, would you say that the jewelry industry is separate from the fashion industry? <sighs> That's a really good question. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say so. I would say that they're very similar just because, um, you know, big companies in the fashion industry like Louis Vuitton, Gucci, they all make jewelry too. Chanel makes jewelry, Fendi makes jewelry and watches. Um, so, you know, once you do one and you kind of run out of ideas in one, that's when people start to move into the other um, and vice versa. So uh, I would say that they are the same industry. Of course, there's certain brands that only do one or the other, but a majority of the brands, they do both. All right. Well, let's because I just honestly, I just went right into the questions because I was like, <laughs> wait, this is so what my mind was so blown. And I got really excited. But for the In Your 20s community, tell us who you are. What do you do? Your passions, all that kind of stuff. So I would say my biggest passion is business or entrepreneurship. Uh, ever since I was a kid, it was just hustle. Um, whether I was in high school selling random stuff or, you know, starting my own business at 15 or 16 years old, selling on eBay, doing all these things. Um, entrepreneurship was just always in my blood, always what I love to do. And I still do it today. Uh, other than entrepreneurship, a few of my hobbies, I love sports, uh, basketball, soccer, stuff like that. Swimming also. Um, and then for fun time, I love to cook uh, a lot, a lot. I'm sure you see it. Oh, y'all need to follow Connor and see the stuff that he makes, literally. And it's so funny because obviously, like, I'm friends with your girlfriend, Jamie, who is on episode like six of the podcast, but she's always posting these stories. And I'm like, this girl's really will think that she's the one cooking this. And I know damn it's you. It's all my food. No, I'm just kidding. But most of it, I, I love to cook. And of course, I cook for her all the time. Um, so there's a good chance it's something I made if you saw it. It's always. I do it the exact same way as me. She loves to eat, but like cooking, n not the vibe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I always loved to cook. It was something um, my family actually taught me. Everyone in my family knows how to cook. Uh, so it was just something we did together always during holidays and stuff like that. We'd all make a dish. We still do. Um, we'd all make our individual stuff and, and eat and share that love of food together. And then other than food, fashion is my other number one thing. 
I, I can't tell which one I love more, food or fashion, but it's one of them or it's both of them. I don't know. But uh, clothing, jewelry, stuff like that, accessories, uh, definitely another one of my passions. Well, you're definitely, I mean, I don't know about king, but I know you're making some kind of money with the fashion. <laughs> so like, what's your occupation right now? Right now, I actually have two occupations. Um, so first, I run a jewelry company called Kuyashi Jewelry. Uh, it's based out of New Jersey, New York, um, basically anywhere uh, because the e-commerce company. So uh, I actually don't sell in any stores right now, just mainly through online. Uh, so I do that for, I would say, like three quarters of the week. And then I have a part-time job at a company called The Real Real, where I am a fine jewelry and watch specialist. So basically, all I do all day is authenticate fine jewelry and watch items. Um, I price them and basically just do everything related to that industry. Before we get into Kuyashi, because I want to hear the full story, but as far mm-hmm. as, you know, being an employee for The Real Real and learning how to authenticate jewelry like what was that process like did you just interview and say hey i want to do this can someone teach me you learn on your own what was that okay so funny story i I don't think a lot of people know this um but back in high school my first real hustle was selling fake stuff and it's funny (laughs) it's funny because it, it, it went full circle but in high school, um, I used to have, you know, different people I would buy from, but I would sell, you know, everything from fake Beats Beats by Dre headphones to like fake Louis Vuitton uh, belts and stuff. And I always told people it was fake. Um, and back then it was, you know, they were high school students, so they couldn't really afford much. So, you know, when they had got a chance to buy Beats by Dre headphones that worked just as well for $20, they were all for it. And I would sell a lot. Like I think at the peak I was buying like 60, 70 headphones and selling them in like a week. And it was insane. I made a decent amount of money from it. And I used that money to buy myself real Beats by Dre and real Louis Vuitton <laughs> uh, belts <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, so that was that was really my first hustle. And and that really taught me a lot about the counterfeit industry. A lot. Um, so you know when I was I don't know, 12 or 13, I was already, I was already learning the differences between real and fake items and stuff like that, especially in luxury. Um, so all this stuff kind of sticks with you. Um, because after that, I, I kind of forgot about all of that stuff until, you know, I was interviewing for this job. And, um, you know, of course they ask you certain things in the interview about, you know, authenticity and to see where you're kind of at. And, uh, I was kind of nailing them. Uh, and it, it was great. I Everything that I learned in high school kind of transferred right back. And um, of course, I did my own research because jewelry and watches was new. Um, but the jewelry company I was running at the time, I started Kuyashi before I uh, actually got this job. So I did have knowledge of jewelry and stuff like that. So that portion was covered. And then the authenticity part, they like to teach you a lot once you get there, just because every company does it a different way. Um, but using the stuff that I learned back in high school and then what I was taught every day, uh, I got the hang of it pretty quickly. Nice. Well, then, like, you know, you're saying how when you were in high school and they were fake items, you were telling people that they were fake, which I mean, this is a whole other conversation that we could get into. <laughs> I personally like I will not know it's fake unless someone tells me that it's fake. Like, I'm that's just how I am. But for someone who, you know, cares more about like 
actually owning the real thing. For example, let's use like a Gucci belt. Like, would you be able to tell if someone was wearing a real or fake Gucci belt? A hundred percent. Yeah. I can, I can, I can look at anyone's wrist if they're wearing a Rolex or any nice watch. I can tell if it's fake for the most part. And this, uh, so the, the replica industry is, is very interesting and there's going to blow your mind, but there's different levels of fakes. So what I was selling back in the day and most of the replicas back in the day were really, really low quality. So you could look at it, the stitching would be little zigzags and stuff like that. And it was pretty easy to tell. And that's because you're buying a belt that retailed for, I don't know, $900, you were getting for $20. But now, you know, and stuff that I've seen on the job and, you know, stuff that's been developed over the past couple of years, it's almost impossible to tell, right? Unless you're looking at it under magnification, you know, unless you're, you know, you take the belt off of someone and feel it and look at it for yourself. It's very hard to tell. Um, And people will actually pay ridiculous amounts of money for fake goods. Um, People, people will spend, you know, on a watch that costs retail $10,000, people are willing to pay $4,000, $5,000 for a fake watch. All right. And it will be made out of the same exact materials. It's like, a one-to-one replica, right? And they're different levels. You can pay $100 for a fake watch, 200 or up to like a couple thousand dollars to get um, the same exact item just in different qualities of counterfeits, which is, it'll blow your mind. My mind is already blown. <laughs> Connor's just looking at me, like trying not to laugh because the facial expressions I'm making, my jaw is agape, my head is starting to hurt, I'm getting hot. I'm like, I did not realize this. You really got me. When you said the whole like, oh, yes, a watch for like, I know it was an example, but a $10,000 watch and then they're still paying $4,000 for it. I'm like, I get that it's please steal because, you know, 60% off. (laughs) Also, Like if you're already dropping four grand, why not just bite the bullet, wait another year and get the 10 grand one? Yeah, it's it's crazy. And there's also what's even harder to tell is that there's, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, but there's also people who mix real parts into fake parts. So they'll buy a fake watch and put it on a real dial or a real you know, hands or something. So it'll actually be a mix. So you can authenticate half of the watch and it'll be perfectly fine and the other half will be fake right so it, it's mixed so you have to be very very careful when you're looking at this stuff um and for example we get a lot of cartier pieces mm-hmm. and the love bangle is the most famous and the real one is made out of real gold right and it's, it's a big chunk of gold it's probably worth you know a thousand something in gold uh the fake ones they make them in plated material which is garbage or they make real gold versions. And those are the ones that you would pay a couple thousand dollars for because it is real gold and they use real diamonds and everything on a fake piece of jewelry. Um, so it's it's hard to tell because you can't just test stuff and say, oh, this is not real gold. You know, you, you actually have to dive much deeper than that. So when you're authenticating these pieces, so let's say someone comes in and it's one of those like mixed kind of pieces. Mm-hmm. So when you're telling them like, okay, so half of this is real, half of it isn't. Do you just like tell them how much you can buy it off of them for? I don't know really what the process of the real real is. So maybe you can also let um, our listeners know what exactly that company is. 
Okay, cool. So um, basically, say the easiest way to explain it is say you have a bag, right? Um, or a watch or whatever, and you want to get rid of it. So you would send it into the room reel. And there's a few ways to do it. You could set up a meeting and you could sit with someone, an expert, we call it, and they would sit down and tell you exactly what your item is worth. Um, they would grade the condition, do all this stuff, and then price it right out for you if it's authentic, if they deem it to be authentic. Um, and they would price it out, you would agree on the price, and you'd give it to us and we'd sell it. Another way is that you just ship it to us. And then it comes to someone like me. And I would look at the item, authenticate it, and then price it. And you don't really get a say in the price and stuff like that. If it's inauthentic, uh, we have a whole process for that. But um, I don't really communicate with the customer at all. I just authenticate it. And you know, if it's a replica, or if I think it's a replica, we have a process for that. And if it's real, I continue with the pricing and I, uh, you know, it goes onto the site. I actually had a conversation with someone like maybe two weeks back and we were talking about the real real. She said that she wanted a, a bag from there and she goes, but I don't know, like, have you shopped from there? Like, I don't know if I can trust this site. But I was like, I see way too many Instagram ads and influencers talking about the real real for it not to be like real. <laughs> it's legit. It's legit. Um of course, you know, things happen with any company, um, especially, again, like we talked about, the fakes are getting so good. So it's it's bound to happen eventually um, that something slips through the cracks. But almost everything from what I saw is authentic. And we hire really well. We hire experts in the industry. We have people who are authenticating Chanel come right from Chanel. Um, so they, they know exactly everything that's to go into it we have years of research we have uh our back end is insane we have almost every piece you could ever imagine and you know you can easily compare uh the piece in your hand to something that we have already had in the past and that we deemed authentic so i i do really 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 trust the real real um <laughs> I buy a lot of I buy a lot of stuff from them. Uh, they're great prices, and uh, I always trust that it is authentic. Honestly, the luxury consignment industry it is. I'm I'm smiling because it's something that I don't know a lot about. So having this conversation right now, I'm feeling very informed. But as much as I could talk about that. I want to talk about Kuyashi now because that's the spotlight of this episode. I'm actually wearing one of the rings right now. Oh, look at that. What's the name of this one? I should have looked it up before we recorded. That's the curb ring. The curb ring. Okay. Yeah. Guys, this is the ring, the gold ring that I wear in all of my photos now. Because I lost the ring I was wearing before was like from 2016. It was my high school graduation ring, right? Oof. I know. Oof. Correct. Yep. <laughs> I had been wearing this ring every day since, like, what, senior, junior year of high school, all throughout college. Then I move into this apartment, and I lost it. Like, I have no idea where it was, and I know I was really sad about it. So that's why I was like, all right, I need to start, like, buying rings because I feel naked without them <laughs> on. So then I'm thinking to myself, hmm, like, what website should I go on? And, Connor, I'm not going to lie to you. Actually, I told you this. I was on your website. I'm scrolling because I'm a very big gold person scrolling. And then I see this ring and I go to myself, you know what? I'm going to wait on this for a little. Like, <laughs> let me just make sure that this I, I'm not, you know, buying just based on my emotions. That I'm super sad about my other one. Let me think about this. 
the way this ring was living in my head rent free guys for so long to the point where I think it was either before Christmas or after Christmas. And I was finally like, screw it. I need to get it. I'm dreaming about this ring. I need it. So (laughs) that's my personal anecdote with Kuyashi. (laughs) I love it. I wear it every day and everyone asks me, they're like, Oh, where'd you get it? I'm like, Oh, Kiyoshi, here's Instagram. Don't worry. Don't worry, Connor. I got you. But tell us, yeah. how did, what's the story behind Kuyashi? You said that you started it even before you were working with the Real Real. So give us the 411. Sure. Kuyashi, I actually started in college. And it was my first real, real company um, because I had a few before that. But, you know, I had a sneaker company and a clothing company, but I never really... I'm sorry, pausing to that, because, I mean, you know, with all of my guests, I have to do a little lurking. So Mm. I saw somewhere that you were like, New Jersey's 2015 Young Entrepreneur of the Year. I was. Yeah, what was... What'd you, like, win that award for? Was it the Um, sneakers? Yeah, it was a sneaker company I had in high school. (laughs) Nice. You did your research. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I had a sneaker company and basically uh, the main part of it was buying and selling and trading and stuff like that. I started off with one pair of Jordans when I was in high school and I traded for two, traded for four, sold some, bought some, did all of that until I have a closet full of shoes. I loved it. And then I also customized sneakers. Not that crazy because I'm not the greatest artist, but I would I could paint different colors. I knew all the techniques, and then I restored sneakers, so I could clean a pair of old, dirty shoes back to brand new. Get rid of creases, get rid of all that. So that's what I did, um, and I had clients from all around the world. I had people from like China sending me shoes to clean and stuff like that. So that was really cool. Um, and then the Chamber of Commerce of my town, which was Edison at the time they had this little contest and I didn't even apply. I think my dad applied for me um, and he didn't even, he didn't even tell me. And then I just got, you know, a letter and the email that I won this award and I went to the ceremony and all of that. So that was, that was really fun. Um, and that was really cool. And of course I like plastered that all over my LinkedIn and everything. Um, <laughs> it also kind so, of solidified like, okay, I am yeah, a businessman. Like I know exactly. the tricks of the trade. It did. It gave me a lot of confidence. And, um, you know, it was a it was a silly little thing. But, you know, looking back at it, um, I'm really happy that I did it and I got it um, because that it gave me the confidence that I needed that, you know, it was more than just a hobby. Right. It was an actual business and it was something that I could do in the future. Mm-hmm. So then fast forward into you were in college, you're studying business. Um, what were you majoring in? <laughs> I was going to say, but I was like, wait, let me ask him the question. <laughs> I, was, I was a major in supply chain management and a minor in entrepreneurship, but the minor didn't mean anything. It was a supply chain. The minor didn't help you at all? It, it did. I met, I met a lot of people um, and my professors are great as well. They helped me with a lot of my business stuff. But in terms of like, curriculum and stuff no i'm sorry uh, this this stuff doesn't help you because in the entrepreneurship classes that they're teaching you it was stuff like you know transportation and warehousing and logistics and stuff it you know it it didn't really help with how to start a company right especially in today's day and age because everything is so outdated i created a shopify store in in a day there was no class on how to make an online business 
I had to learn that all myself. There's no, they didn't teach you how to do taxes and stuff like that. I'm learning that right now and I'm struggling very heavily, <laughs> but there was no classes on these types of stuff. It was very like outdated type of entrepreneurship, like how to raise capital and how to give up part of your company to get money. I, it was, it was very different um, from what I was trying to do. So no, it, it really didn't help me. That also sounds like it's those classes that you were taking. It was more for the the startup that's already got its like footing. They've exactly. established themselves. It's like, so here's what you need to start doing next. Yes. It was like how to get funding, like different series of funding and, and raising money and capital. But, you know, in my industry and when you're starting a clothing company or a fashion company, I'm not going to go through three series of Serie A funding and raise half a million dollars for a jewelry. Co- I'm not doing that. Right. But, you know, obviously for more established startups and stuff, that's that's a route you have to go through. And that's stuff I'm looking into now. But, you know, back then, no, it didn't help. At so all. when was back then? In, in college. I say back then, like it was like decades <laughs> ago, but it, it was like, like four years, three years, four years. All right. Yeah. So when did you start Kuyashi? Um, I started in 2017. I think I was a junior or sophomore. Yeah. One of those. I don't even, I'm something not even going to do that math right freshman. now for me. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> it was like freshman, end of freshman year, sophomore year, I think. Okay. So you were still in, um, you were still in college. You start Kuyashi. What was your reasoning or what made you, I want to start a jewelry company. I didn't actually want to start a jewelry company. I wanted to start something in the fashion industry because that's what I knew. I knew that the best. I knew how to sew. I knew how to do all these things. So I wanted to start something in that kind of area of fashion. And um, then I was kind of looking at stuff to buy because that's what I did back then. And I was like, oh, I really need to step up my jewelry game because I didn't have a lot of jewelry. I had a lot of clothes. I had a lot of sneakers, but I didn't have a lot of jewelry. So I was like, oh, let me look. And I was looking and the stuff that I could find for men, there was a lot of stuff for women, but for men, it was either very overpriced or it was a really shitty design. And there was nothing that I personally would wear or would want to buy. But there was one company, Supreme, who was was doing it really well. And this was like way back, like three, four years ago. Supreme wasn't as big as it was now, Um, but they were making very select few pendants and necklaces that I really liked, but they were made out of gold and they were like a thousand dollars. And I was like, no way I can't pay this right now. So um, I think it was the playboy pendant. It was the playboy pendant that I really, really wanted. Um, So instead of buying it from Supreme, I went back to my old fake websites that I used in high school and I found a seller selling, you know, a very similar Playboy pendant, but you had to buy like 30 or like 50 because it came from China. So it was like bulk order, but it was like a dollar each. So I was like, all right, 50 bucks, I can get, you know, 50 of these pendants and I'll buy 50 chains too. So I did it still costed like one fifteenth of the Supreme price. And I got like 50 of them. So I was wearing one around college. And I didn't think much of it. Um, but then someone came up to me and they're like, oh, where'd you get that pendant? And I was like, oh, just come back to my dorm room. Like I got a whole like drawer full of them, right? So uh, people were actually buying these in college. I think I sold like 10 in a week. And I was like, oh, like this is actually like pretty good. And margins for that stuff was insane because I was buying them for a dollar a piece and I was selling them for like 15 bucks, right? So that's like a lot of money off a single one. 
And so even that necklace price is still like, it's not yeah, breaking it's the bank. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy, right? And it was just made out of really crappy materials. That's why it was so cheap. It was like, you know, just brass or like something really bad that would turn your neck green. But no one <laughs> cared because it was it was like 10 to $15 and no one really cared, right? And no one, when it's that cheap, no one does the research to, because you could go on eBay, you could go on the sites that I use and you could find it if you did your research. It took me an hour to find. You could do it too. But first, no one wants to buy 100 pieces of something. And second, uh, if it's $10, no one's going to do the research. They're just going to buy it from you. 10 bucks yeah. is cheap, right? Your time is worth more than $10. Um, so yeah, that's what I did. And and when it started selling, I think I made like $1,000 selling out all of them. And I was like, okay, like if I can do this and people like this one pendant I chose, they're probably like another one, right? So I bought, I think it was a palm tree next and it sold too. So then I started selling on eBay. I started selling on Grailed, a bunch of different sites. And um, it was really taking off. And I remember I was sitting with my friend in class and he was sitting next to me and he could see my computer and my PayPal was just like, cha-ching, 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 every second, <laughs> every second. And it wasn't a lot of money because they were $15 or whatever, but you know, I was making $15 every second and it kept popping up and it was insane. And I was like, okay, like this is, that's the time that I really started to take it seriously. So I started a website, did everything myself. I had friends who were photographers, thanks God. Uh, I had friends who were photographers, I had friends who were designers, which helped me out so much. Um, and I just did it. I just went for it. I made a website. And since then, it's just been building off that one idea. Um, I have the same roots from when I started three, four years ago. It's just been every day improving the next. And um, that's kind of where I got to where I am today. And also the quality, it's a lot oh, yeah. better than it was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's, that's in fact that the reason why the quality is better is because I took the time to learn about my product, right? I took this full-time job right after, right after we graduated. My business wasn't doing like fantastic. I couldn't live on it. I couldn't, you know, rent the apartment I wanted using just the funds from my company. But um, it was close, and I could I could get by if I really wanted to. But instead, I I ended up taking the full time offer with the real real uh, because it was in jewelry. You know, if if it was like a full time somewhere, I don't know, like uh, pharmaceuticals or something, supply chain, what I actually majored in, I would have to think a long time about it because um, that's really not what I'm passionate about. But when I was given the opportunity to work in the jewelry industry, I took it um, because it gave me a chance to learn more um, about jewelry, to kind of become an expert in the field. Um, so I'm really glad I did take that because it, it taught me what to look for. It taught me how to get better quality items. It connected me with hundreds of people in the industry. So I'm very happy that it worked out the way it did. So you started off as like a one person team, but are, do you have other people with you now or are you still just a one man show? Um, so I actually had someone join uh, the team, I would say like two, three months ago. Um, he was a friend that I met, I would say in college. Uh, that's when we met, um, but we never really met in person. We were just friends online and we, we kept in contact and stuff like that. And he runs companies too. And he, um, he joined the team. He took a little part of the company and um, we're running it together now because I, I needed help. Um, when I was looking for people, it was when I was full-time working plus the job. 
um, and it was it was too much for me to handle. So I needed someone, and he came like a gift from God. Uh, so he came, and and we've been working on it together. But you know, in very high peak times like holidays and stuff like that, it's all hands on deck. Like, I, don't be surprised if you get a text from me asking if you can come help me pack orders or something the next holiday. You know, it's it's I whoever will. I can find, whoever I can find. Like, I'll treat you out for dinner the next day i'll pay you like i just need you to come here and help right so jamie helps uh, my mom helps uh, my aunt helped like whoever i could get if it's really necessary i'll find you and uh, <laughs> and um yeah that that's that's about it the team is still very small but in times of crisis uh it expands it expands <laughs> very rapidly and i have people you know i work with um a uh, few people who take my pictures for me. Uh, I work with a few people who still design for me. Um, so it's like all like kind of one-off people. Um, but in terms of team, it's really just me and my partner right now. It's really interesting that you said like you realized that you had to ask for help because I think a lot of times when people have a project, a business, whatever, they like, it's their child. For example, this podcast to me, it's my child. So then it's like, okay, how much can I push myself mm-hmm. until it's finally like th- I I literally cannot function? Like I need someone to just help me in any type of regard. So for you, I'll ask, I'll phrase this question two ways. One, what was that point where you were like, all right, I am going to ask someone for help, whether that's holidays or whatever. And two, how did you feel like for someone who, is struggling to just carry a business by themselves, what is some advice that you'd give them in terms of, you know, asking for help and also seeking that help? Great, great questions. Um, so for an entrepreneur, right, when you're working at home and stuff like that, it's, it's hard to tell when you need help because, you know, you can eliminate the Netflix, you can eliminate the video games, you can eliminate the fooling around, right? And you'll have a couple extra hours that you can really work and devote. Not a lot of people do that, though, right? Um, so, you know, it's hard to tell when it's when you have the time and when you just don't want to do certain things. It's it's a very hard differentiation to make. Um, but you know, I eliminated all those things, but I was still you know, working a full-time job and I would come home and I only have enough time to package orders one day. And then the next day after work, I would go to the post office and take those orders. And that was two days gone. Like that, I couldn't work on any other stuff. I couldn't post on Instagram. I couldn't do this. Right. And then I was literally like falling asleep working uh, on my computer at, at three to 4 AM. And I would have to be up at 8 AM the next day to go to work. And that's when I really realized that it was it was too much, right? I was not sleeping. I was, you know, skipping meals. I was going crazy, trying to trying to run this company. Um, so I was looking for someone for a very long time, and the part time at work really really helped. Um, I went part time uh, to focus more on my business. That helped a lot, and it did give me a lot more free time. But I, I knew I needed somebody and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of specialization. So don't try to learn, you know, everything at once. There's people out there who have done certain things for a very long time and became experts in it. So work with them, right? Don't, don't try to become an expert yourself if it's not your forte, 
work with them and until you have a team where everyone specializes in one thing perfectly and and that's how you get the synergy but it was at that moment really that you know i wasn't sleeping i could notice it taking a toll on my health where i knew i needed to reach out um and you know luckily again the stars just aligned and i found uh, my partner dave um and you know he was really respectful because he's done this before where he comes into companies and he's he's very used to it so you know he we sat down and we talked about it we agreed on the terms and of course it was it was hard letting a piece of the company go uh, to somebody but luckily we're very similar people we listen to the same music we have the same taste um, in, in a lot of things so uh, he was very res- respectful about it and um, it, it clicked and I think it's really important that when you're giving up a piece of your company or anything that you know you put time or effort into, that you make sure you can connect with whoever's coming in uh, more than just on a business level. It should be a friendship as well, um, because a lot of people are so quick to give up a part of their company to an investor or something, and they have no interest in in being friends. Right? They're just there for the money. They're just there to to grow the company. Um, so. You know, when this kind of worked out, it was it was perfect. Uh, we were friends before, and then um, he joined in, and now we're we're taking over. Awesome. Well, and also, I only I've got a couple questions left, but like in terms of you know, um, you were talking about oh, your photographers, a few designers, like, but you're invested in the design process as well. You like create a lot of these pieces. Yeah, I do. Um, I create almost everything. Um, Right now, it's getting to be a little too much because I'm focusing a lot on the, uh, you know, the Instagram and just talking to people and um, getting my name out there. But in terms of design, um, I am not a gifted designer, but I I know trends. I know trends very well, and you know a lot of things like, for example, pearls. Right, I was rocking pearls for years. I love pearls and I've been wearing them. And then ASAP Rocky decides to wear them and my whole pearl collection sells out. And, you know, <laughs> like, and I had pearls on my website for a year and they weren't selling at all. And then, you know, ASAP wears it and uh, I don't know who else wear it, but they were on the cover of GQ or something. And guys and pearls just like blew up. And, you know, I've had this on my site for a while and no one was biting until other people do. Um, and then suddenly it goes crazy, but you know, I'm, I would like to say I'm a little ahead of the trends. So it's easy for me to kind of conceptualize things and say like, Oh, I really like this now. And jewelry, it takes like months to develop a piece of jewelry. So you do have to be ahead of the times because you cannot, you cannot like, I, I don't know, like, like imagine like you make a pendant that's like someone dabbing or something when that was, when that was cool. And like a month later, the pendant finally is ready to be put out. And it's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, this is not cool anymore, but you, you made it when it was cool, but a month later it's not. And so you have to be very quick when you think of these things. So, you know, not only just quickness, but thinking about timelessness as well, making designs that it doesn't matter if it takes a year to make or two years to make when it comes out, it's going to be cool. Right. And that's just being timeless and um, kind of defying trends with your with your brand. Um, So, 
yeah, the design process, I still do a lot of it. I just bought a brand new iPad and stuff like that. So I'm drawing and I'm making stuff. But again, if I don't have the time, I have a bunch of friends who are designers that I can outsource to, thankfully, and just to get opinions on stuff too. I'll make a design, send it to a few people, get their inputs in it, get them to change a few things, send it back to me, and then um, it goes out for production. So yeah, I work with them in different ways. And that's really cool because it's like your friends are going to be your biggest critics, especially because the ones who are actually going to tell you their opinion, because I've got a friend group from home, which for those of them who are listening are going to be like, Tina, you can't be talking shit about us. But it's like, I know that if, if I'm ever like trying to figure something out, even just sometimes writing emails, I'll send it into that group chat and they'll be like, girl, you sound dumb as hell. Or like, <laughs> you need to fix this. Just like, they're the ones that you want to go to. So I think also with the whole business and even like with me, with the podcast, when I was trying to create a new cover art because I was so sick and tired of the other one. I was like, this is haunting me. So when I was making this other one, I sent them like 20 designs. Granted, were they super annoyed with me? They were like, bitch, we can't keep up. But they were the ones who said, all right, this is a little too wild, wild west. Or um, this is more like feminine if you're trying to go for a unisex, unisex vibe. <laughs> so it just proves that your friends really are, they are always down to help out. Connor, my last question for you. I'm not going to make you pick one, but what are your favorite pieces from Kuyashi right now? Oh, Lord. That's a tough one. Okay. Well, I'll start with this one because I haven't taken this one off in a very, very long time. I and what's love the name of that piece. one? So this is the, <laughs> it's a long name. It's the 360 reversible ice cross necklace. Okay. Got it. Something okay. Like it looks very nice. Similar. But it's it's like a very big cross, and we actually set stones on both sides, which is something that I haven't seen in you know in my time in jewelry. So you can wear it either way, and one side is like to look like stained glass windows in a church, so it's all different color stones, and the other side is like this Easter color gradient. It's like pink, yellow, and blue. It's like cotton candy. Some of my favorite colors. Um, so you can actually wear it both ways. So. It, it's a little expensive. It's uh, We retail it for 175 um, but that's because it's a solid piece of sterling silver. And then also, you're, you're getting two pieces for the price of one, you know? Yeah, because like you were saying, most pieces, if it flips one way, people can tell. They're like, oh, you need to flip oh, yeah, your yeah, necklace yeah, around. Exactly. Also, I like that you were like, it's a little expensive. Yeah. <laughs> It is because I'm, I'm trying to make jewelry that's that's really affordable. And I really, it sucks to say, but I, I lost my sense of money. And I I attribute that 100% to the real real. They like mess with my brain because I'm working with like pinky rings that are worth a million dollars. Right. So when I see a watch that's like $50,000 or $100,000, I'm like, oh, that's cheap. All right. And I'm like, looking at it, it's not cheap. It's just, it's just <laughs> cheap relative to everything else I've been seeing. Right. So when I drop a piece and it's like a hundred bucks, I'm like, wow, that's like really cheap. And I'm like, wait, like that's not cheap because my target mark- market is like 13 years old to 17 to 18. Right. They don't have a hundred dollars to spend on a piece of jewelry. And, and it's, it's tough because my, my perception of money is completely gone off the shits. So <laughs> I, I do I like, I try to like step back a little bit and think like, okay, like 175, it is a lot of money. Um, so then I try to design stuff 
in a way that you can be worn multiple ways or something to get more value for the money, right? So like the earrings I dropped, for example, you can wear them with a little charm. You can take off the charm and wear it as a little huggy. Or you can, it comes with a bail. So you can take the earring part off the earring and you can put this bail on the charm and you can wear it as a pendant. So oh, you wait, can so wear well, this. What's a, is a bail like technically the a chain? The bail is the little thing that connects to a pendant that you can put it on a chain. Got it's this it. little piece, right? The top of every pendant where a chain goes through, that's the bail. And, you know, I figured out a way to make these bales openable and closable. So you can like fit it over different chains, right? You ever have that problem where you have a pendant, but it doesn't fit in the chain. Oh, now mm, you can, all the damn time. Yeah, <laughs> now you can, with my pendants, you can open the back of it and you can fit it over any chain and close it. And you can wear it over any chain. Um, and then I use that same technology on the earrings so you can wear them as pendants too. So like, I'm trying to make everything, I'm a huge fan of versatility. So like, I'm trying to make like the ultimate versatile piece of jewelry, something you can wear as like a bracelet, a chain, an anklet, a pendant, anything you want. Right. And you know, if you can get the price then to like a hundred bucks, then it's a steal. Cause you can wear it 10 different ways you're paying $2 each way. It's like, wow, like it's crazy. So that's what I'm trying to do. Um, that's a huge design push for me is just trying to make versatile stuff or like, you know, reversible or, you know, kind of ride that wave a little. The innovation also <laughs> bring anklets back 2021. Oh my, I, Connor, as soon as you drop anklets, I better get a text because I will purchase them all. I, I, I hate feet. You. We all know I hate feet, but there's something about an anklet that makes me, okay, that's kind of, you know, I'll be on my, what's it called? Um, oh my gosh. What's the name of that movie? It's going to bug me if I know I'm looking it up right now. I am so sorry, but we have to look it up. Oh, I'll be on my aquamarine type shit. That's the movie I was thinking about. Do you know that movie? I don't. Oh my gosh, it's like, I think it might be from Nickelodeon, but it's with JoJo, Emma Roberts, <laughs> Sarah Paxton. It's basically Ariel, but the Nickelodeon real life version. Oh but I God. very much enjoy it. I don't, I don't <laughs> watch many movies. Uh, it's sad. I don't watch a lot of stuff. Jamie always gets on my back, but I don't watch much. I don't have time. Like the little time I have. I spend on like cooking and stuff like that. So I don't have time to, to watch. Well, Jamie movies. has watched the entire Netflix catalog. So she has. Yeah. <laughs> she is on her own kind of wavelength. But Connor, thank you so, so much for coming on. Um, I want you to plug your socials where people can find you. And if there's anything that we didn't get to talk to uh, during this episode, the floor is yours. Um, interesting. Okay. So I will say one more thing. And I did talk a lot, so I'll keep it short. Um, but I, I heard someone tell me the other day um, they were complaining about their job, and they're saying that, you know, oh, like I have to, you know, work a nine to five, all this stuff. Like, I just want to become an entrepreneur, just work for myself, so I don't have to deal with this shit anymore. And you know, I was like, oh yeah, like for sure. And then I was like thinking about it later that day, and I was like. No, like something's wrong here because it it's I've done both, right? I've run my own company fully for a few like months after college. I was only working on my company and then I worked full time at another company. So I, I know both sides and I will tell everyone it is much easier to work a nine to five. 
it's easy to go into somewhere and be told exactly what to do and how to do it. It's easy to have set times. You work nine to five, you're on your way home at 530. It's easy to routine. It is. And it may not seem like it, but it is. But once, you know, all that is scrapped and you have an empty piece of paper, it's, it's very difficult. It's difficult to, you know, like today, for example, if I didn't have this podcast, God knows when I'm waking up. Cause it's like, it, I don't have anyone. I, I'm not going to get fired if I don't wake up at 9am. Right. So I have that, that you have so much power, but with power comes responsibility, right? Like I can do whatever I want, or I can do, I can do everything. I can do nothing. Um, so it, it's very difficult to have that self-motivation to, to run your own company. And a lot of people will look at entrepreneurship as a way out, but you're going to have to be doing not nine to five. You're going to be waking up even earlier and going to bed even later, uh, working on your own thing. Cause there's no one telling you what to do. It's, it's very difficult to have that self-motivation um, to say like, okay, this is what I need to get done today. This is how I'm going to do it. It's easy to go to a job and just, just sit there and mindlessly work because I do it too. And, um, but yeah, that's, that's what I'll leave on. It's, it's hard, but it's, it's worth it. Everything people say about, you know, the free time and, you know, the travel and everything, it is worth it, but you have to grind your ass off. Um, it's not just going to be a walk in the park. You have to really, really grind it out, but it will be worth it if you can make it. Um, so that's, that's what I'll leave on. Um, again, my name is Connor Shaw. You can find me on Instagram at Connor Shaw, C-O-N-N-O-R-S-H-A-H. Uh, and my business is Kuyashi Jewelry, K-U-Y-A-S-H-I-I Jewelry.us on Instagram. Beautifully, beautifully said. Those words were amazing, Connor. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show. And guys, thank you so, so much for tuning in to another episode of In Your 20s. If you like the show, tell your friends about it. Follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeart, wherever you listen to podcasts. My name's Tina with an H, and I'll catch you next Wednesday.